Welcome to Everyday News with the Blantons. That's Dr. Latasha and Mark Blanton. On this show, you'll learn through education, awareness, and promotion exactly how you view the world and your place in it. Now, here are the hosts of the program, Dr. Latasha and Mark Blanton. Good morning, everyone. It is yet another wonderful Monday. I, You are listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. I'm your host, Latasha Blanton, and Mark is still in sunny South Africa as I am here on the East Coast. Um, I want to invite you guys to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as send us an email to info at therealsouthafrica.com. Um, this morning, we're going to have the opportunity to speak to a very good friend of mine, Tara Setmayer. She is the uh, host of podcast, Honestly Speaking with Tara. She's also a CNN and ABC News political contributor, and she has an extensive history in politics and has been one of the few Republicans that have spoken out against the current president of the United States. So Tara is going to go through her history with us. Um, let us know a little bit about her and what she's doing right now in the world of politics. So, Tara, I want to welcome you to the show. Hi, Tosh. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect timing. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. Perfect timing. There's a lot going on. It's actually way too much going on, to be honest. It's, it's a little bit hard to keep up with. Um, just tell, tell everybody how they can connect with you um, on social media. Sure. Um, I'm very easy to find. I'm on Facebook uh, at Tara Setmayer. Um, I'm on Twitter at Tara Setmayer, the same. On Instagram, I'm at the Tara Setmayer, T-H-E, Tara Setmayer. And uh, my podcast on Twitter is at honestly underscore Tara. So the name of the podcast, as you said, is Honestly Speaking with Tara. So you can find that everywhere podcasts are downloaded. Um, and, and I'm the only one, so <laughs> I'm easy to find. You're the only the there. Is, I'm the only Tara set mayor out there. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, at honestly underscore Tara. So I, I encourage everyone to tweet me. I'm very interactive on social media with my, with my listeners and followers. I, I agree with that statement. You are very interactive and they can listen to that on Tuesdays. Is that correct? Or any other time after that, but they're all uploaded. That's there, right. If I remember correctly. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. That's right. It's, no, it's weekly, and the new episodes drop every Tuesday. So uh, a new episode will drop tomorrow. And I usually have a guest um, with me. Um, tomorrow's episode will be Max Boot, who is uh, another never-Trump Republican like myself. But actually, he, he renounced Republicans. He's no longer associated with the party until Trump leaves office. But he is a renowned international affairs expert. He's worked on several Republican presidential campaigns as an advisor, He's also a colleague of mine at CNN, a global affairs analyst, and he wrote a book called The Corrosion of Conservatism. For people like myself, it was cathartic because we've watched in horror as the Republican Party has been <laughs> infected with the disease of Trumpism. Um, and his book is really, really excellent. It's an excellent history of what conservatism really means, what it is, and it's definitely not what we see today coming out of the White House. So tomorrow's episode is good. Wow. No, it sounds like it's going to be amazing. I'm definitely, uh, we'll make sure to tune in. Um, and just a little bit about your background. Can you tell um, the listeners a little bit about, you know, your personal background, how you got to where you are right now? Sure. 
Uh, well, since I was probably, well, since I was a little kid, I've always had a mouth. <laughs> I'm from Jersey, so <laughs> I'm just naturally outspoken, and um, <laughs> I don't take any crap. It's, it's, uh, it's our DNA. Anyone who's from Jersey, they know that Jersey girls are a special breed. So when yes, I was in about, are. I think it was first, yes, we are. I'm proud of it. And, you know, people make fun of my shape, but yet, you know. <laughs> I love my home state of Jersey, um, and I will always rep it. But um, when I was in first grade, um, my mom, she, she was a single parent. She had me at 21, and uh, so she was one of the youngest moms. Um, I'm biracial, so when I grew up in, in middle-class, blue-collar, Burden County, New Jersey, which is about 15 minutes outside of New York City. And um, so when my mom showed up for the first parent-teacher conference, people were like, oh, because my mom was about, let's see, if I was six, she was 27, um, beautiful, and white. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they were like, oh, 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 oh. They didn't quite know what, this, what they weren't expecting that. So um, my, my uh, elementary school principal told my mom that uh, I was either going to be a lawyer or a politician because even at six years old, I had kids in and out of situations before they knew they were in or out of them. So <laughs> I've always had a knack of <laughs> kind of being that advocate for people, you know, for like the nerdy kids that people didn't really talk to or the quiet ones in the corner. Or, you know, if I saw that like something didn't make sense, like why are we stacking pencils this way? I was outspoken. <laughs> and, um, and my mom encouraged that. So very you know, logical like in your thinking. Oh, yeah. Plus, I'm a Virgo. So it's like, you know, oh, yeah, all that, those things never mind. combined. It, right. <laughs> all those things combined, I was destined to do something that involved communication and um, critical thinking and people. You know, I've, always, I've had a heart for people. And I, and I just, it's something that I guess God instilled in me. You know, God blesses us all with different giftings. And this has been mine, the gift of communication and the ability to um, help people understand complex things and make them feel like they can make a difference too. And that's always been my motivation awesome. to be involved in politics. Awesome. For some people, it's been, a, you know, yeah, it's a different motivation. Some people like the, they're intoxicated with the power that politics gives you or the ability right. to manipulate people for, you know, for evil. You know, it sounds dramatic, but you see what's going on every day. That's never been my motivation. It's always been how can I use my, God-gift, my God-given talents to help other people take advantage of being in the greatest country in the world and how to just have them feel as though that they are worth it, that their worth is enough, you know? And, and wow. that's, kind of, um, that's kind of like what, what's motivated me all of these years since I was in elementary school. <laughs> that's, forward. that's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. So fast forward. What's crazy also is that I was actually never involved in student government. People probably what? think people who know me. I would have yeah, never, I was never involved in student government. Well, I mean, it was because I was an athlete. So okay, I, so I played multiple sometimes. sports. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't do all of it. I couldn't do all of it. As much as I appreciated politics and kind of it was a natural thing, when I was in school, like in element, uh, junior high school or high school, it was really all about music and athletics for me as far as extracurricular activities. So wow. student government was like, it's, yeah, it was just, I just didn't have time for that. Um, which is kind of ironic, ironic given that's like my career now. <laughs> and I want to run for Congress. No, it, no, it is. So, very ironic. 
I yeah. would have never, I, but, um, I mean, I knew you were an athlete, but I would have never put together that you weren't involved in that in student government at all. Yeah, no, I was involved in all kinds of other clubs. You know, I, I was in Amnesty International. I was involved. I was in a chess club when I was in sixth grade. I was in, uh, I don't know. I, I was all over the place. I was always involved in something. But being a, a varsity athlete as a freshman, um, well, I guess my sophomore year was a varsity athlete. But being a three-sport athlete, plus I played violin and clarinet, I did not march in the marching band, though. Once I got to high school, I said, to hell with that. I'm not putting on any polyester outfits and plume hats. And that's no shade on folks who march in the marching band. Good for them, but that just wasn't for me. <laughs> but it also, no, the real reason is <laughs> the real reason is that it conflicted with my volleyball season in the fall. Okay, I just, okay. there just were not I enough hours you. in the day. Um, so I played in the concert right. bands and stuff. But um, but yeah, so I just didn't. Yeah, I just couldn't do it all. But I look back and I'm kind of glad that I didn't do it. Like, I didn't do Model UN, like, none of that, none of that. But I did do um, a mock, uh, mock trial, which, because I did want to go to law school. That was something I wanted to do, because I felt like if I'm going to be involved in how laws are made, I should understand what the laws are. Um, so I really wanted to go to law school. I ended up not doing that, though, because when I got to college, um, I decided that I wanted to go to George Washington University in D.C., and so when I got to Washington to go to do politics, by then I knew politics was going to be my thing. Um, it just, I was able to, with all of the resources of Washington, D.C., I was able to work and intern while I was in college on Capitol Hill with, like, really powerful lobbying law firms. I was fully immersed in politics from the time I was 18 years old. So when it came time after I graduated undergrad at GW, I was like, I had job offers. So I was like, I'm not really trying to be a broke college student again for another three years. I kind of like <laughs> that I'm working in the real world. And I said, I'll go to law school later. And later, I'm right. 43 now. So later never happened. And um, right. I, that is a regret that I have. That is a, regret, a regret that I have. But I do tell students who I speak to now who ask for advice about whether they should go through, get all their schooling out of the way, should they work first? I always tell them, finish your school first because it's so hard to go back after you're used to being on your own and making your own money. It's really, really hard to go back. So my advice is always for you. If you want to go to you know, law school or med school, do it. Go, go straight through. If you can do it, go, go straight through. So you don't kind of live with the regret that I did. But that's kind of how I got it's there. Expensive to, it's expensive to go straight through. And then once you got there, I'm assuming you loved it. I mean, did, you, did they place you with Republicans initially? Were you already a Republican? Like, how did that process like, right, like for you to be right. Like, okay, this that's is what the, I want to do. That's the million dollar question, right? How I became a Republican. Um, <laughs> Republican, see, it's hard now because, like, even saying, like, I'm a Republican, which is something I used to be very proud of, I would say I'm a conservative first because the conservative okay, I got you. Um, worldview is how I approach life. Um, I and, got you. and so it's like, not those, really about the label. Right. Well, it's not about the party per se. You know, I mean, most I people you. aren't involved in politics all day, you know, like the way I am. Um, they just identify Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. And it's uh, so I think the easiest definition would be that conservatism is the set of principles that that um, you view the world and how you approach problem solving when it comes to legislation and politics. Gotcha. Republicanism or, you know, Democrat, that's the party structure by which you express your power, your political power. 
So in order to okay, vote, that you makes have to register sense. as one or the other. You know what I mean? Or, you know, candidates have to be right. one or the other. And, and interestingly enough, our founding fathers actually did not want us to have parties because they were deathly afraid of the tribalism that would ha- potentially happen where people kind of retreat to their corners and that can create um, division. So the, our founding fathers wouldn't be too thrilled about, I think, the state of our political parties today because they really didn't want them based off of exactly what's happening with the type of divisiveness that's going on with each party where people are dehumanizing one another because they disagree with their political view. That's, um, that's something that I'm not ha- very happy about. I'm not sure how we turn that around, but... Um, historically, in the beginning, the founding fathers didn't want it, but they couldn't fight it. By the 18, 1802 or so, 1803, parties were emerging, and they were like, oh, well, we're going to have to live with it. But, yeah. So um, <laughs> that was kind of – so that's why, like, now, because Republican is such a dirty word for a lot of folks right. who are not avid Trump supporters, it's, um, it's important for me to make sure people understand, A, I'm a sane one, okay? I'm a sane Republican. Right. But I'm, also, but, I'm, um, but I'm a conservative first because those are the principles that I live my life by and, and explaining what those principles are and what they're based on, I find, is something that people, once you take the label off, people are more open to hearing that than if you start off with, well, you know, I'm a Republican, so I, you know, oh, well, you guys just want tax cuts for rich people. And it's like, no, it's the complete opposite. It's like, that's like not complete the case. We, we, right. We, we want to create opportunities for individuals to be successful and for individuals to take advantage of every opportunity out there for them um, without the government coming in necessarily and telling people what to do all the time. Meaning, no, government right. have some some, um, uh, you know, regulations and things. We're not talking about a laissez-faire type of system here. That doesn't work either. But for the most part, we think that the individual should be empowered, not the government. That's like the basic, awesome. the, you, know, fundamental, the, you know, fundamental principle of what conservatism is, is empowering the individual for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All right. We're going to head to our first break, Tara. We're going to pick up right where you left off and just explain how you got where you are. So just keep listening. We'll be back in just a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Enjoy listening to Everyday News with the Blantons? Now you can go with Mark and Latasha and experience South Africa the way that they do. Safaris, five-star hotels, and first-class shopping, all with The Real South Africa. For more details, visit TheRealSouthAfrica.com What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You 
are listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. Want to find out more about the program? Send an email to info at therealsouthafrica.com. Now, back to Everyday News with the Blantons. Welcome back. Thank you guys for continuing to listen. This morning we have Tara Setmayer, the um, CNN and ABC News political contributor and the host of Honestly Speaking with Tara. Um, Tara, if you would just go ahead and continue on with what you were saying regarding uh, being a conservative versus being a party person and how that matters when it comes to working with the policymakers and on Capitol Hill, because you've done that a lot. Right. Um, Yeah, so it's been an interesting journey with that because as a D.C. person in politics starting at 18, I mean, I was the vice chair of college Republicans at GW. I started a Republican um, volunteer organization kind of as a counter to AmeriCorps. For listeners who are over 40, you may remember AmeriCorps <laughs> was, a, was a government volunteer program started by the Clinton administration. And as a, and where you got paid, it was paid volunteerism, basically. And so as conservatives, mm-hmm. we were kind of like, wait a minute, that's an oxymoron. If you volunteer, you Yeah, I'm like, paid. that doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me, yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, fiscal conservatism used to be something that um, uh, fiscal responsibility used to be something that conservatives were um, was a priority for us. Um, And so during the 90s, when Clinton was in office, he had some pretty large budget proposals, large spending bills. And Republicans took the Congress back for the first time in 40 years in 1994. And they said, well, no, 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 we're not doing that. We want a balanced budget. We want welfare reform. We want, there was a bunch of different things, uh, policy priorities called the contract with America that Republicans ran on. They won the Congress, control of Congress back, and they kind of forced Bill Clinton at the time to moderate a bit. He had to come to the middle with his policies or else he wouldn't have gotten anything done. And so that was actually a good example of where Republicans and Democrats worked with each other to get legislation passed for that was in the best interest of the United States. And we had tax cuts, we had welfare reform, we had crime reform, and it was a booming economy. We actually had surpluses back then. That is right. We haven't had that that in years. Right. Right. So with with all of that, it was kind of like during that time, one of the proposals was this AmeriCorps program where um, the government funded, so it was another government program that required taxpayer money to pay people to volunteer. And it's kind of like the Peace Corps, but <laughs> a domestic program. And we just thought that that would asinine. <laughs> you know, we're like, why? So, you know, we're like, you, you don't need to pay people to volunteer. We're the most charitable nation in the world. So I started an organization to, to demonstrate that, A, we as conservatives are not heartless bastards like some people think we are because a lot of times <laughs> they, they portray us as that. And it's so not the case. Right. Uh, we just think there's a different way to approach it. And so, yeah, so we, so we did that. So I was kind of um, uh, a rabble rouser just to, to, dem- to live out the principles that we believed in because I thought it was more important for people to see conservatism in practice than just in a crossfire debate on cable news. Because um, people right. respond to what, how they feel, you know, they, they need to feel it, which was something that Republicans were very bad at for a long time. Democrats oftentimes and liberals, you know, they call them bleeding heart liberals, right? 
because they look so <laughs> compassionate and we just want to help people and, you know, the poor, poor people, they can't work, so let's give them government programs and pay them to live in housing and give them cash assistance. And it was like, okay, well-intended, but that ended up not necessarily working very well. You know, the war on poverty sounds great, right? We don't want to, of course we want a war on poverty. We don't want people poor, but that was a disaster. We spent trillions of dollars on social welfare programs, and we still have people living in ghettos, generational poverty, people stuck in this government malaise because it kills incentive for the individual to want to achieve because they become wards of the state, basically. They, you know, and that's yeah. something as a conservative, as Republicans, that we just said, there's got to be another way. How about we give people a helping hand, but we don't, we don't relegate them to lifelong government subsidy. Let's, let's give them some power right. individuals, give them and show them the opportunity. You know, that's how Jack Kemp, who was a very influential Republican in my life, um, Jack Kemp was the former housing the secretary of, of housing and urban development under George H.W. Bush. He was also uh-huh. a really good football player, for people who know. Um, <laughs> the wide receiver right. in the NFL back in the day. <laughs> and so he, you know, Jack Kemp was kind of the first compassionate conservative, uh, him and Ronald Reagan, too. But he was really the one that went there. He was on the ground. He was in these urban areas. He, he's the one that started things called empowerment zones which allowed for tax breaks and tax incentives for businesses to come into urban blighted areas and develop uh-huh. businesses. And that's how you get a so tax you think break, there's a provide job. So you yeah. think that there's a actual fine line between helping and enabling? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. And I also think that that okay. fine line that's is what, right. yes. That's what kept, that's what attracted me to the conservative way of approaching things versus liberal. Because I just think that mm-hmm. a lot of times the Democrat, liberal Democrat approach to things does enable people as opposed to empower them. Now, of course, my liberal friends will argue with me on that, but that's the, that's the beauty of <laughs> having a difference of opinion. <laughs> it is the beauty so, of having a difference of opinion. Because some right, people will say that, right. you know, when you look at things, it's, 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 it's systemic when it comes to um, some of the poor people staying poor. And then you look at the point of view and they'll say, well, that's helped them. But even when you're helping them, you're not helping them enough to actually get them out of it. So then it looks like you're not really helping them, but it gives the appearance that you are, then you kind of go back right. and forth between are we really helping them or are we making it look like we're helping them because we're really helping ourselves. And that's kind of where some of the arguments come in when you're looking yeah. at um, being a liberal and, you know, saying everyone come and take whatever you need until you get better versus let me help you um, get what you need and then you figure out how to get the rest. And there's And there's a difference between those two things because I know enabling when I see it. And I know when you are actually helping someone, and the hard part about that is that individuals can take advantage of help and not get any better. And those are the things you That's can't right. weed out sometimes. Those are things you can't That's weed right. out sometimes. You can't determine if a person actually has the, um, the wherewithal to say, I'm going to take this little bit of help. I don't want anybody to help me. I want to do this for myself. But, and the person that says, I'm going to take this help and I'm going to take it as long as, as long as it gives it. And I'm going to keep having babies because they're going to keep giving mm-hmm. me money. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a fine line between right. that person that wants to do better for themselves and then the person that wants to get the help and then stop. Because, 
you know, it's, it's always been tough for me to determine, you know, if welfare is a good thing or a bad thing. When I do see people, um, systemic or not, continuing to have children, when I'm like, why don't you just stop having sex? Or why don't you just, <laughs> like, if you just stop mm-hmm. doing this one thing, like, maybe, but they, see that, but they see that as a way to get more money, but then the money's never enough. So then that's when you see the cycle of, you know, generations of people living on the system because no one ever said, how about we stop this behavior and make it better? So that's kind of how I can see there's a fine line between enabling. And the the issue with that, right, and the problem with that is that, of course, there are people who, um, there are people who, they just are incapable, right? And that's okay. Not everyone, not everyone has the same abilities. But, which is uh-huh. why it's supposed, it's meant, it was meant to be a stepping stone, at least in theory. Uh-huh. I have my own, uh-huh. I have my own theory about why people like Lyndon Johnson, who was a racist, wanted to um, <laughs> keep the, keep a certain, you know, keep African Americans in this country enslaved in government programs because you have to think about what the country was like back then. Um, right. You know, so there's there's that history behind it also, but it's it's kind of like Republicans said, look, we don't want to sap the incentive out of individuals to take care of themselves. There has to be accountability for behavior. There has to be accountability for the decisions you make, like the examples you were using. If you're a single mother mm-hmm. and you have a baby out of wedlock, okay, things happen, right? But when you start having right. two and three babies out of wedlock and you know that, well, if I have this child, the government's going to give me more money and then I, now mm-hmm. I qualify for housing subsidies, mm-hmm. then what incentive mm-hmm. do I have to be responsible so that's the problem. No, I'm not saying that, you know, you know right, exactly. So we, now there have been some reforms made to those programs where you, where you now have to work. You know, Republicans came in and said, okay, look, after a certain amount of time, you're going to need to work to get these benefits. No more just sitting around and getting benefits, okay? <laughs> so you uh-huh. either need to look for work, you need to volunteer in your community, you've got to do something. And people, you'd be surprised how reluctant some people were to um, agree to that. It was pretty remarkable. I'm like, this is just common sense here. Like, why would you want, not want people to have the pride of earning the money? You know, this is taxpayer money. People don't realize that the government does not make money. The government's money comes from taxation. <laughs> it comes from you and I who work. It comes from businesses and their business taxes. It comes from property taxes. So there's no money tree on the West Lawn of the Capitol. (laughs) So people need to understand that money has to come from somewhere. So when you start taking money from people who earn it and then giving it to people who aren't, that is a certain amount of redistribution of wealth. That absolutely you start getting into, is, is that fair? How much redistribution of wealth should we have? You know, how are we getting into socialism now where we're like, if people are really, if I've worked my ass off or you have and you've gone to school for years, you paid off, you know, your loans and you have a successful business, but the government says, well, wait a minute, we're going to tax you at, you know, 40% so that we can spread that wealth around to the people who are, you know, can only work at McDonald's and that's that. I don't know how fair that is. And that's, that's another fundamental difference between... Republicans and Democrats on how we, quote, redistribute the wealth to people 
um, that's necessarily fair in what we have as a constitutional republic, which is supposed to be, again, an individual empowered to be as successful as they want to be within, within the law. And, exactly. You know, again, gonna, it's a, it's a fundamental sorry. difference. So. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We're getting ready to go into um, another break. If you have any questions or comments for Tara, please tweet her. You can always send us an email as well to info at therealsouthafrica.com. We'll be back in just a moment. Thanks for listening. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com What would it be like to visit South Africa? Is it too expensive? Too far? Is South Africa all bushes and wild animals? Stop wondering and join the real South Africa luxury travel company for all things South Africa. Visit TheRealSouthAfrica.com for more information and reserve your trip today. Visiting South Africa just got easier and is now all-inclusive when you travel with The Real South Africa. Tours starting at $6,300, single occupancy, including air, hotel, transportation, and activities. Visit therealsouthafrica.com and reserve your trip today. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. Want to find out more about the program? Send an email to info at therealsouthafrica.com Now, back to Everyday News with the Blantons. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with Tara Stettmayer, CNN and ABC political contributor and host of Honestly Speaking with Tara. Tara, if you want to um, just go ahead, and I think we were talking about just how things are, you know, different as far as how policies are made um, on Capitol Hill and how people have misconstrued the ideas of liberal versus conservatism. So you can continue on your thought process. Yeah. um, Just to kind of button that up. I mean, obviously we're speaking in very simplified terms. None of this is just as black and white as our conversation is right now. Um, There are differences. There are regional differences. You know, the needs of my home state of New Jersey are very different than the needs of Wyoming. 
um, and part of federalism <laughs> and part and part of no, I mean it's the thing, you know. No, I'm I just mean, New Jersey is Wyoming. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. Uh, Oh, I'm, well, I, ha- I love Wyoming. I spoke at the University know, of Wyoming in 2016, it and it's such a beautiful yeah, place. So, like, it really I'm fascinated is. with the it. The Tetons are amazing, and so I get it. Oh, my God, all of it, all of it. It's just an amazing place, yeah. and um, you can't get any more polar opposite from New Jersey than Wyoming. Like, people are just naturally right. nice there. And that's why I laughed. We're that's not why I laughed. Nice. I was like, that was... <laughs> That's why I laughed. I was like, that's pretty funny. Yeah. But I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. So anyway, so um, the idea of, of kind of federalism and, and empowering the states and, and having local localities solve problems is something else that we kind of feel is um, an important policy approach as Republicans. You know, let, let state and local oh, government yeah. handle things. To have more. It's right. Yeah, right. You can tailor it to what works in your community. So, you know, Tip O'Neill, the, the long time. Well, Tip O'Neill, the longtime Speaker of the House Democrat for many years, he said that all politics mm-hmm. is local. And that's a thousand percent true no matter who's in charge. Um, mm-hmm. Where do I think that's not working? I, I think that it doesn't work in when you see, like, in larger cities. Like, let's look at Chicago, for example, or Detroit. Mm-hmm places where uh-huh. the federal government has spent millions of dollars and there's been a lot of um, involvement there. These cities are a mess. You know, they're a mess. Yeah. And yeah. You take, if you take, right, they, and, and you really need to take a hard look at what happens in Chicago on a daily basis and what policies were in place under Democratic rule from, you know, there hasn't been a Republican mayor as long as I can remember in Chicago um, or Baltimore, for example, places yeah, that used to be bad. thriving metropolises, what has happened there? Um, yeah, and so sure. you know, there's there's different examples, but so again, this is it's it's obviously a lot more complicated than just our conversation now. But these are just you know we're speaking in fundamental differences with that. And when you go to Capitol right. Hill, like I worked on Capitol Hill for seven years as a communications director for a congressman from California, and in that capacity. I also had the opportunity to work on some legislative side, legislative things, which is not normal. Normally, if you're a press person or you do communications, you don't delve into the legislative side. That's what they have legislative correspondence and legislative assistance for. But um, I worked for a very unique congressman, and I had an interest in federal law enforcement, immigration, and things like that. So he gave, he allowed me to have that in my portfolio. Um, wow. So, and, and, and that's as, because I come from a law enforcement family. My, my grandfather was captain of our local police department for 40 years. He was one of the first police officers in my hometown in Paramus, New Jersey, where I'm from. Um, my family emigrated on my mom's side. They emigrated from Europe, from Germany and Italy. So, like, they literally came through Ellis Island in the 1920s. They, you know, made a made plopped on their land in Paramus, New Jersey, and we still own that same land from 1926 to this day. So, I have a lot of family legacy and history there in, in Burton County. But my grandfather was a police officer, so I have obviously a, a different perspective on law enforcement and things like that. And I'm married to a right. federal law enforcement officer, so um, that kind of shapes my view about different things because I have personal experience with it. So that kind of experience is good when you're on Capitol Hill because you work from staff to on a staff level, where when you're crafting right. legislation, 
the staffers can talk about stuff and they can bring those experiences as opposed to just like rigid, um, <clears throat> like, you know, policy and, and philosophy and all of that. That's great. But you really need to have people who have real-life experience in different aspects. That's why I'm, I'm excited about the new Congress coming in. Despite the fact that it's a bunch of Democrats, that's okay. Because the Republican <laughs> Party in its current form today, as far as I'm concerned, they needed to lose in, in, in the midterms to bring some balance to that's what's going on. So they've abdicated. Yeah, they've abdicated their responsibility for checks and balances and for um, oversight, which is really the role of Congress as a co-equal branch of government. So I said for the first time in my life, I actually voted for Democrats federally, which I've never done before, but I, ha- I figured I, I had to do it that as a rebuke. Crazy. It was a protest vote, yeah. But just the new class of, of members of Congress coming in and 102 women from all the... Yeah, that was amazing. I think that's amazing, and I think that that's good because it really represents what the Founding Fathers intended the House of Representatives to be. It was supposed to be the people's house. And I think so what we're do you seeing think more, making... more representation of that, especially in this last election. And that's good because it brings personal experience to the House, to the people who are making the laws that affect everyday citizens. So when you're looking at, the, you know, the, the changes that you say, you said that you mentioned 102 women. What do you think yeah. generationally, like then versus now, like what's changing the way people are voting? Is it is it is it the disgust that some of them have for 45 or is it? simply because they really want to see, like, fundamental changes in actual democracy take place? Like, what do you think is causing the change? I think it's a combination of all of that. I mean, as much as, you know, we, we are the freest country in the world, right? But our right. voter participation rates are abysmal compared to places like Europe. <laughs> I mean, people, people go out and they vote at, like, 70, 80 percent level. The United States, we're lucky in an election year if we break, like, you know, 55%. That's crazy. That means like that's, half of, the, of eligible Americans don't exercise it's their right at home. home. Sitting at home. Crazy. Okay, and then complain, right? They're sitting at home on social media bitching about how terrible things are and how they don't like this or that or this politician or that one. Meanwhile, they don't vote. And so it's like... And then they say... That but, then give, but then they give yeah. shitty ass reasons too. Why they don't right. vote. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's like there are no excuses for it. And... Um, you know, that's a whole other conversation. You know, people will say, well, there's voter suppression and blah, blah, blah. And, um, yes and no. Yes, that does happen. There are uglier aspects of that. But still, it's not like it was where our forefathers were, you know, <laughs> they were um, arrested and dogs sent after them and they didn't have the, you know, poll taxes and, you know, water cannons for people who were protesting the, their constitutional right to equally vote. It's not like that anymore. Right. You know, maybe you don't like that you have to get up earlier on a Tuesday because your state doesn't have early voting, but that's no excuse at all anymore. You know, right. you don't have an ID. Right. Like, I don't think that voter ID laws are some kind of voter suppression. That's ridiculous. If you need a license to get on an airplane or to go buy a Sudafed, for goodness sake, <laughs> then it shouldn't be too much to have some kind of ID to vote. I just don't, I just, I yeah. don't agree with that being a voter suppression well, thing. Well, I don't and know why anyone would too, not want to have an ID. <laughs> Well, that's my thing. The, the argument is that for people who are poor, who can't afford an ID, or elderly folks who may not have their ID, that it disenfranchises them. But a state like Rhode Island, for example, came up on, for their state, they came up with a way to make sure that folks who were, that didn't have the money or who were elderly 
They had an outreach program to subsidize it to make sure people got their IDs. Good for Rhode Island. You know what I mean? So there's that, <laughs> that's no longer an excuse. And I said, see, that's the way you solve a problem. So, but anyway, so the point is that you have to vote. And, and I, the, the election of Donald Trump woke up a lot of people who said who probably weren't involved in politics before, who thought it was not for them, their vote doesn't matter. People looked and said, holy shit, if I don't get involved, <laughs> we end up with a Donald Trump. <laughs> right? So that is one of the upsides of this guy being president is that I think a whole lot more people in this country, whether they wanted to or not, have been forced to engage. And we saw but what about the ones that level, are standing behind him? Well, that <laughs> I'll get to that in a second. We saw record okay, levels no of voter participation in the midterms this time around. Most people do not vote in midterm elections. Some places have like right. 20 to 25, maybe 30% voter participation in midterm elections. Because, you know, people wow. don't pay attention. They're busy or whatever. Not this time. It was like oh, close no. to 50%, which is amazing. And crazy. especially for millennials, millennials who don't mm-hmm. usually vote, 18 mm-hmm. to 34-year-olds, they really don't vote. They mm-hmm. voted this time. The largest increase in voter participation was in that age group. So that's great. That means our younger folks are paying attention and actually doing more than just registering. They're actually going to vote. So that's what I think I saw this time. You saw a lot of women who looked at this president who is a despicable misogynist and said, we're not going to sit by and let someone like that represent our country. What kind of message does that send not only to our daughters, but to our sons? We wouldn't want our sons behaving mm-hmm. like this. We wouldn't want our daughters marrying an <laughs> asshole like this. So how about we're going to get step up and set an example of how to behave like adults? <laughs> and good for them, because we, we have a man-child in the White House. I'm <laughs> Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, so I think that you found a nice spot that we're going to roll into on the next segment that just talks about how things are going and and the people that still continue to support um, the current president. So when we come back, we're going to wrap everything up with those thoughts. And if anybody has any questions or concerns, please be sure to email, tweet, or give us a call. We'll be back in just a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Real South Africa has tours for 2018 and 2019 available. Book now and mention this ad or tweet us after booking using hashtag EverydayNews and you'll receive an additional 15% discount. Please check out TheRealSouthAfrica.com Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Everyday News with the Blantons. Want to find out more about the program? Send an email to info at therealsouthafrica.com. Now, back to Everyday News with the Blantons. Welcome back, guys. This is the last part of the show. We are having a phenomenal education session uh, with Tara Setmayer, the uh, host of Honesty Speaking with Tara and CNN and political contributor for ABC News as well. Um, Tara, go ahead and, and let's just um, give everybody a little bit of an overview of, you mentioned earlier about 45 being completely different and how there are people that are still continuing to support him. Um, what do you think is causing that? still levels of support? Because I still feel like there are people that are coming out of the woodworks to continue to support him. What What do you think contributes to that? Well, <laughs> that is, if, look, if, well, it's, it's, a, it's complicated, but it's not. I think that I have to admit that I was one of those people who thought that there was no freaking way in the world Donald Trump would get elected nationally. When he first emerged on the scene in the summer of 2015 as an official candidate, I mean, he'd been, he'd been out there kind of giving his opinions prior to that, but never in a serious, structured way. Because he's a buffoon. You know, nobody took this guy seriously, you know, with the hair and you're fired. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm from the New York metro area. I remember Donald oh, Trump and his yeah. and his, you know, with, 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 his, with his wives and his, you know, tabloid mm-hmm. stuff and his bankruptcies and what he did to Atlanta so he City was not and impressive how he over. He was, I'm sorry? He was not impressive to you. Oh, hell no. Never, ever <laughs> was, he impressed, uh, was he impressive to me. Because I could see right through the schmaltz. You know, this guy, he was, he was a classless rich guy, you know? So he's a classic example oh. where money cannot buy you class. So wow. when he came on the scene and I thought to myself, no, people get, all right. You know, there are people who are enamored with that kind of stuff, and we see mm-hmm. that in, in all aspects of our culture. And I, I've called it the Jerry Springerization of our culture. You know, that reality wow. show kind of, you know, train wreck, but people like to watch it. Um, they can't help it. They, they, they turn away from They can't turn away from it. And now it's been yeah, in, it's introduced into politics. And that is every day the fundamental thing. It is. And it's like, okay, so Pete, what do people see in Donald Trump that allows them to be so viciously um, uh, loyal to him? And my theory yes. is it comes from people who are, feel aggrieved in life, and they feel ignored, hmm. and they have grievances, and they look at him oh. as their champion. 
So it's, oh. it's perpetual victimhood. So they don't have to ever take responsibility for their circumstances or what happened to them in their lives because they can, they're the ones that bitch and complain about oh, life is unfair and it's because of the immigrants. It's because of, you, you know, it's because of those rich people. It's because of whatever. You know what I mean? Just go, just go down the checklist of complaints. And Donald Trump goes, yep, that's right. I hear you. I hear you. And I'm going to change it. I'm the only one who can do it. It's a certain very cultish, cult of personality that a lot of people are susceptible to. I was surprised at how many people were willing to do it. And he also is a good bullshit artist. You know, he's a salesman. Mm. He is a snake oil (laughs) salesman. And people bought it. He bought it. And Hillary Clinton... Sorry for the Clinton fans out there, but she was a god-awful candidate. People couldn't stand her. The Clinton, Mm -hmm. you know, she's not Bill Clinton. She did not have the same personality and ability to draw people in the way Bill Clinton did. And so I think a lot of people said, "Uh, I can't vote for her, especially Republicans who might have been moderate. They were like, there's no way. I will vote against her. I will give this guy a chance. I just think people were naive. They thought that he would change, that the presidency would make him a decent person. And those of or us make who him grow up, that which we haven't seen at all. Yeah, we, we warned against that. Like, this guy is who he is. He's never changing. But, you know, people he want to believe old. I mean, they want to change that him. That's why they voted for him. No, they well, don't. You know, I mean, you don't have to be in your I, 70s I mean, not to change either. I mean, it's very yeah, it's, 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 it's in your 20s and not change, but... Well, yeah. it was funny because when you, I mean, I, I remember, and I'm thinking, you know, people are like, oh, let's pick the lesser of two evils. I'm like, the lesser of two evils is still evil. That's right. <laughs> it's still and evil. I said that, and you know what? Like, and I, and I, I will give credit to um, another person. He, he was a never-Trump Republican. His name was Ben Howe. And he said something that was very profound that I told him I would be using going through the election to explain why I, I refused to, to choose the lesser of two evils. He said, I am under no obligation to make an immoral decision that I believe will result in an immoral outcome. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Because I thought that Hillary Clinton was awful, and I thought Donald Trump was awful. And I said, I'm sorry, but the lesser of two evils just perpetuates evil, and I'm under no obligation to engage in behavior Mm -hmm. that I think will have an immoral result. Now, I voted third party. mm -hmm. I voted third party right, um, sure. because I just could not morally vote for either one. I think if right. I had to do it all again, I'm not, I think, I don't know, I might have voted for Hillary Clinton because despite how much I couldn't stand the Clintons and how corrupt I believe that they are, she would not have created the constitutional crises and done the things that Donald Trump has done that have really taxed the democratic norms, institutions, and ideals of this country. I don't think she would have done that. She would have been a traditional political opponent, and we still would have had politics the way we normally do and would have, you know, had our differences of opinion, and we would have fought that through legislation and the way we've done in the past. Not like this. What's going on today scares yeah. the hell out of me. And what's happening... Well, he's in a lot of executive become, order just making things up. I mean, he's like, I just want this well, to happen. Well, not only that. The order. I'm like, not, that's the scary part to right. me. Well, it's beyond that, because executive orders, I mean, you know, presidents have have tried to legislate through executive orders. That was one of our criticisms of Barack Obama. You know, he issued executive orders on things like immigration and stuff to circumvent Congress, which is not really the way it's supposed to go. But that's why we have a judicial branch, right? The judicial branch comes in, the Mm -hmm. courts say, wait, hold on, that's not constitutional, so you got to walk that back. What Donald Trump is doing 
he is, when he tweets like he does and he keeps like challenging our basic framework of our republic, he's planting seeds <laughs> into people who don't really understand the way our government works. When, and, and we have to be honest here. The country is very ignorant when it comes to the basic civics, which is another Absolutely. problem with our education system. But which is a la- and Donald Trump knows that, by the way. That's why he's a master manipulator. He knows that the average person doesn't understand the checks and balances. They don't know the roles of certain things. So he just tells them what they want to hear, and they go, yeah, that's, that's right. Screw the court. Like, no, <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> you know? So he that's knows how to manipulate that ignorance with people. Yeah, and that's scary to me because it's allowing, people are allowing this kind of authoritarianism and things that are very against our Constitution creep into our everyday politics. And that's when you go, you know, you turn around one day and you go, how the hell did we get here? And so that's why for me and people like me that are on the Never Trump movement as as Republicans and conservatives have decided that we have to speak up and hold Donald Trump and his sycophants accountable for what they're doing because we cannot allow him to normalize all of these things that are not normal. We cannot. Are we going to recover from this? Or a constitutional republic. I think we can. I mean, look, we recovered from a civil war. We recovered from a Great Depression. We recovered from the civil rights movement and the, and the um, uh, unrest of the 60s. I believe we can recover from it. But this is something we haven't seen in quite some time, and it's going to take the American people informing themselves and making the decision that what they see going on is not okay. And I saw some of that with their civic participation in the midterms that a lot of Americans have said enough is enough. And we have to keep that going, whether it's on a school board level, all the way up to Senate, people have to speak up. Your vote matters. Your voice matters. If you don't have money to give to candidates to get them elected, that's okay. Volunteer your time. Educate your neighbors. Just be informed. Because the path that we're on is not sustainable. And just because Donald Trump got a couple tax cuts passed that might help businesses, that's great. You know, I agree with some of the policies that Republicans have gotten forward, pushed forward. But none of this has been worth a Donald Trump presidency. We could have had a sane Republican who respects our Constitution, respects our government and the way it works, and doesn't act like, a petulant jerk every time he doesn't get his way, you know, that it's not a malignant narcissist the way Trump is. I mean, the list goes on and on just, just from the guy's Twitter feed, not to even mention the, the, you know, what's going on with Russia and the national security irresponsibility that Trump represents and his cozying up to dictators and things. That's scary enough in and of itself. But all of the, we didn't need a Donald Trump to get any of whatever positives. We didn't need him to get conservative Supreme Court justices. Anything Republican could have done that. So people need to continue to stay involved. Don't let, don't just go, ah, well, that's just the way it is. That's just Donald Trump. No, we cannot normalize what's going on here. They get involved, get informed and inform your neighbors and we'll make it through this. We will make it through it. Thank you everyone for listening. It's been a whirlwind of information. Stay tuned and we'll be back next week. Until next time, educate yourself and have fun in the process. Thank you for tuning in to Everyday News with the Blantons. 
We hope you've enjoyed today's program and we'll tune in again next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a nice week.